sponsored will be read by Jay Hollington. Do you know what the 
those people, Charles. <laughs> only a few wasps. George sighed and went upstairs. There, he climbed inside an old duvet cover, armed himself with a spade and a vacuum cleaner, and climbed up the rickety steps into the attic. There was, indeed, an enormous wasp's nest there, and quite a lot of wasps. He hit the nest with the spade and tried to suck up all the wasps with the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Some wasps got inside the duvet cover and stung him a bit. But after an hour or so, he was satisfied that he cleared most of them up. He climbed back down the stairs. His mother-in-law was standing on the landing, arms folded. Now my vacuum is full of wasps. <laughs> oh, that won't do at all. You'll have to get me a new one. Oh, we could just empty the bag said George. Nonsense, said his mother-in-law. I'll pop into the hardware shop on my way home, said George, scratching at his wasp stings. Christmas came earlier than George had been expecting, what with the distraction of the various tasks and trials concocted for him by his family. He'd scarcely noticed the frostings of snow starting to appear on the window ledges of his house and the tremulous icicles sprouting from the guttering. First carol singers to appear on the front step gave him quite a start. It's only a fortnight till Christmas, said George's wife, and we still don't have a tree. George's is not good enough. We need a tree. I think maybe you should go and get two, and then I can decide which one I like the best. <laughs> decorations, Dad, said the kids. Don't forget I like the decorations. We already have a big box full of decorations, said George. Oh, we border those decorations and stuff, said the kids. Christmas is like, like a new time for beginnings, time for new beginnings. <laughs> and get the fairy for the top of the tree, too, said his wife. And some chocolate Santas, said the kids. And make sure you don't get pine needles all over the car seats, said his wife. In fact, you better take the bike. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to take me at least three trips, said George. But by this time, his family had lost interest in doing something else. As he cycled toward the garden centre, <laughs> the frost crunching beneath his wheels and the icy wind cutting through his woefully inadequate scarf, he imagined sitting by a roaring log fire, slippered and dressing gowned, a thick glass tumbler of finest single malt in his hand. Resting upon the arm of the chair was volume two of Beaufort's Whiskey Bible, and every now and again he would glance down lovingly at it, as one might to a small infant. <laughs> <laughs> then his bike hit a stray tree branch in the middle of the road and hurled him into a snowdrift. <laughs> <laughs> Muttering to himself, he picked himself up, dusted off the snow, and cycled on. That evening, after George had washed up the dinner plates and the kids had been put to bed, George's wife asked him a surprising question. What would you like for Christmas, George? She said, looking up from her ideal home. George was taken aback. So far as he could remember, she had never asked this question of him in 25 years of marriage. Normally, she would find some old picture frame or photo album in the loft, dust it off and present it to him with the words, Oh, consider it a reminder of happier times, George. <laughs> But this revelation was almost too much for him, and without even thinking about it, he blurted out the only words that were in his head. Beaufort's Whiskey Bible. His wife frowned. Well, what on earth is that? Beaufort's Whiskey Bible, said George again, and he produced the folded advertisement from his back pocket.
Ian's wife took it, unfolded it, and scowled at the contents. £200 for a book, she said. You don't even like books, George. I read quite a lot of books, said George. Well, I've never seen you, said his wife. What's so special about this one, anyway? It's leather-bound, said George. <laughs> it comes in three volumes. It's written by an international team of experts. It... It contains tasting notes and detailed historical notes on every, ever, on every whiskey ever produced in Great Britain. It, oh, what rot, said his wife, holding <laughs> up the advert and handing it back to him. If you want a book, I'll get you a book. <laughs> £200? It's obscene. They didn't speak again for the rest of the evening. <laughs> on Christmas morning, George's wife handed him a small parcel wrapped in newspaper George could tell just by looking at it the size of it that it wasn't both its whiskey Bible, but of course he had never even dared to hope. He unwrapped it while his wife looked on suspiciously. Do you like it? she said. George looked at the cover. Foraging for food, a guide to natural nutrition in the woodlands of Great Britain. <laughs> <laughs> we spent far too much money on groceries, said his wife. I saw this in the charity shop. It will save us money and get you out of the house. You're getting awfully lazy these days. Lazy. And fat. Thank you very much, said George, looking feebly through the pages. Why don't you like going forage some food, Dad? said the kids. Like, we want some breakfast and stuff. Well, there are cornflakes, began George. We want natural nutrition for it in the woodlands of Great Britain, said <laughs> And that's an end to it. George looked out of the window. The snow had all but gone, but thick slivers of ice still crisscrossed the ground, and the wind was harsh and blustery. George shivered and said something he didn't say very often. Do I have to? <laughs> oh, come on now, George, said his wife. Since it's Christmas, I'll even set the table. George sighed, levered himself out of his armchair and put on his old overcoat. He tucked foraging for food into the pocket and opened the door, steeling himself against the icy blast. I'll be quick about it, said his wife as he closed the door behind him. Your family is hungry. After breakfast, George found himself alone in the study. It felt almost peaceful. Although it wasn't exactly what could be described as quiet, it was certainly several degrees of volume less than usual. Nobody was shouting or ordering about or telling him that his latest efforts and tasks assigned to him were most certainly not up to scratch. In fact, the only sounds he could hear were low, guttural moans coming from the kitchen. He poked his head around the door. He could see his wife slumped on the kitchen table, the remains of her breakfast beside her. The bacon and eggs were mostly gone, but she'd only managed to get halfway through the mushrooms before the cramps had started. <laughs> Next to her, the kids were lolling in their seats, pale-faced and sickly, their eyes ringed red. According to Foraging for Food, if you were foolish enough to eat flora detailed in the avoid-at-all-costs section, <laughs> then you might just survive, but the odds weren't good. <laughs> George turned back into the study, and, standing on tiptoes, retrieved a brown paper parcel from the top of the bookshelf. It was sturdy and heavy and smelled of leather and had been paid for on the installment plan.
He tucked it under his arm, returned to the kitchen, where he poured himself a single malt from a bottle hidden behind the washing machine. The groans from his family were getting louder and more intense. He pulled on his overcoat and for the second time that morning headed out into the cold. This time, however, he only went as far as the treehouse. Being careful to watch out for the nails, he climbed the steps and seated himself on the small wooden bench at the back of the room. He sipped his whiskey and unwrapped his parcel. The wind had died down. There was no sound at all. He ran a trembling hand over the leather cover of volume one of Beaufort's whiskey Bible and felt at peace.